Hello, this is Josh Banner, and you're listening to The Invitation. In this episode, we're continuing with our summer retreat 2018. And this is a series of spiritual conversations where we work through a journey of prayer practices of the Shema. That is the great commandment of the scriptures that we would love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the hope here is that by talking with a group of my friends, you, wherever you are in the world, that you will somehow feel more included and that you will resonate with some of their sharing. And I also hope that some of you can feel free to write me with your own contributions, your own questions, your frustrations, and also your discoveries. And if you are now just discovering the Invitation Podcast, this episode will be of help as a one-off, but you'll gain more perspective and likely more fruit too if you start at the beginning of the summer retreat. That's episode number 23, which we started back in May. So the context of our prayer practices for this summer retreat is the summer. And the question we are asking is, what benefits do we have in our spiritual lives as we pray, especially in the summer? Several other holidays, other holy days are mapped out for us already by the church. But what occasion is there for our spiritual growth, even in our resting and in our play of the summer? So how has the summer been of help to you in your place in life, in your place in this world? How have the things you've been up to distracted or added to your pursuit of Jesus? One woman wrote me to say that since she works on a farm during the summer, this season is not a vacation, of course. It's not a season of rest and play for her. But even still, she's been able to find a gift of combining her prayer with her work outside. And another man teaching in China recently wrote in to share about his blessed, unique experiences of the presence of God that lasted for a couple weeks. I don't know what kind of work and family rhythms he's invested in a summer season. I don't even know if it's summer, really, in China. And I don't know what you have been up to this summer either, but I do know that we can all learn to combine our calendar rhythms with our disciplines of not just caring for our bodies, but also the disciplines of gathering nourishment for our inner secret selves, our souls, our inner being. It has been a long summer for my family, with all the goodness of our Michigan beaches, our family trip to Colorado, and getting lost in summer books. There are, of course, also the family chores. There was an unexpected flat tire, a six-year-old with a broken foot, a nasty virus that made its way through the baby, then the mother, 
and now into me. And then just today, Susanna learned of a dear poet friend who lost her battle with cancer. Living the bulk of my adult life on an academic calendar, looking forward to summers each year, I've learned to say that summer is just like prom. It doesn't always end up being what we dreamed it would be. So perhaps you're like me, now ready for school to start back up so that you can have some structure to each day. But even if it's been a season of goodness, one that you're wanting to hold on to, as my mom used to say to me, all good things must come to an end. And that mom statement is also reflected in the words of Annie Dillard in her essay, The Total Eclipse, when she says, one turns at last even from glory itself with a sigh of relief. From the depths of mystery and even from the heights of splendor, we bounce back and hurry for the latitudes of home. Yes, indeed, Mom. All good things come to an end. In this episode, we turn to prayers of the soul, and specifically, our direction is toward contemplative prayer, to disciplines of silence. Jesus invites us in Mark 6.31. He says, Come with me by yourself to a quiet place. You need to get some rest. And when it comes to contemplation, when it comes to quietness, rest, and silence. I think of how this statement by Frederick Beekner resonates with Annie Dillard's words when Beekner says, we are none of us good at silence. In the conversation in this episode, my friends muse a bit on why silence can be so difficult. Perhaps one reason we struggle with solitude and silence is that these things are too good, too full, too rich and substantial, too beautiful for us to bear. Our poor hearts are too feeble to contain all of that goodness. We don't have the capacity yet to take all of that goodness in. As Annie Dillard says, we will all eventually turn away from glory and head back home to the humdrum of our daily, domestic lives. A question I invite you to ask as you listen to this conversation is, how might you be transformed inwardly so that you can bear beauty and glory just a bit longer in your soul? Is there a way that contemplative prayer can help us sink into the depths of our beings to that place where the Spirit can stretch and expand us so that we might contain more of God's presence and love, and to perhaps take some of the joy and rest of a good long summer with us into the fall and to remember it through the winter.
Now, as we turn to the conversation with my friends, remember, my friends and I are here not pretending to be the experts. We come to you with our questions, our weaknesses, as much as our small, humble discoveries. There is nothing obviously spectacular here in this episode, and that is intentional. Yet, on another level, with a different set of spiritual eyes, you might be able to see with us. You might be able to notice what could be more spectacular, more important and good than for spiritual friends to sit down to have earnest discussions with each other about how we might open ourselves more and more to the love of Jesus. And here we are with our summer passage for prayer again, Hosea 6. Hosea 6. Come on, let's go back to God. He hurt us, but he'll heal us. He hit us hard but he'll put us right again. In a couple of days, we'll feel better. And by the third day, he'll have made us brand new, alive and on our feet, fit to face him. We're ready to study God, eager for God knowledge. As sure as dawn breaks, so sure is his daily arrival. He comes as rain comes, as spring rain refreshing the ground. So that first reading is just to get acquainted. to remember that we're here. Transition our hearts and our minds from where we've been to become aware of where we are now. So in the second reading, I invite you to offer a word or a phrase. Come on, let's go back to God, for he hurt us, but he'll heal us. He hit us hard, but he'll put us right again. In a couple of days, we'll feel better. By the third day, he'll have made us brand new, alive and on our feet, fit to face him ready to study God, eager for God knowledge. As sure as dawn breaks, so sure is his daily arrival. He comes as rain comes, as spring rain refreshing the ground. I invite you to offer a word or a phrase. Ready to study God.
he'll heal us. He comes. God knowledge. Hard. Come on, let's go back to God. He hurt us, but he'll heal us. He hit us hard, but he'll put us right again. In a couple of days, we'll feel better. By the third day, he'll have made us brand new, alive and on our feet, fit to face him. We're ready to study God, eager for God knowledge. As sure as dawn breaks, so sure is his daily arrival. He comes as rain comes, as spring rain refreshing the ground. for a word or a phrase. So sure is his daily arrival. Put us right again. Refreshing. Eager. Refreshing. And we begin our conversation by looking back over what we are learning from this practice of meeting and sharing during the summer retreat. I asked them to recollect on their journey thus far this summer. The point is that prayer can be a practice of recollecting ourselves, to remember and to rehearse the goodnesses, or to recall our pains and then to offer them to God so that we can learn, we can heal, and grow. To 
interesting to hear my own thoughts spoken and said back to me and then to consider those in a new way. And so, yeah, um, one of my cousins was in high school and um, her birthday was earlier this month and um, and all this talk of, you know, how do we spend time with wise um, Christians and um, thoughtful people from years past and current, uh, it was a kind of a reminder that, oh, this is a gift that we can share and something worthwhile. And so being able to um, consider, oh, what does it look like? Maybe I missed out on some of these things as a high school age uh, uh, person, you know, walking with Christ. What does it look like to be able to pass on some of these gifts earlier on uh, to, to family, to friends who might see value in this? So you're saying, as you've been listening back to the retreats mm-hmm. and hearing yourself, mm-hmm. you are gathering in the sense that there's something there to hand off. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That works really well with this question of recollecting. We can think of this long summer conversation with you guys as an audio journal of sorts. You know? yeah. mm-hmm. So as we're each, as I'm editing and compiling, as I listen back and prepare for the night, as you listen, we're re-collecting, rehearsing. Um, I felt um, really encouraged by that last session, listening to it. Mm. Um, if I had to rank them, one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. mine would be four. And um, and I, it's funny, I had not written that one down on my calendar. And when you sent out the email, I was like, oh, why didn't I write that one down? And then as soon as you said, don't forget, we're doing the mind, I was like, that's why I didn't write it down. <laughs> I was not planning on going to that one. But um, I'm so glad I did. And it was, I just felt like it's good to get other perspectives and you can kind of hear how other people um, experience the Lord different than I do. Mm. And so that was really fun to listen and I had to leave early. So then it was good to be able to hear kind of how it finished up. But I really liked the accountability that it provides in a kind of secondary way, you know, because we don't leave these times, these retreats just saying, all right, we're going to check back in and kind of see what progress you've made. But there's this sort of implicit kind of thing that goes on within me that says, "I, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to be still and to practice prayer so that I've got a deeper well to, and more to contribute when we actually come. And I think what we were talking about earlier before we started our recording was the ability to listen to each other. Well, even my prayer practice as I'm away from you all, you know, because inherent to prayer is listening to the Lord helps me to listen better to you all. And so again, it just comes back to doing, doing this with other people has really made me want to give it more of myself than if it were to just be me and a book or. I've found this space to be very refreshing and sort of ascending I think for me, like I sort it's sort of in our own little um, liturgical sense within this community, even though we don't necessarily know each other that well, there's been this gathering, there's been a 
this time of dwelling and um, listening to the word is I've appreciated the sending mm -hmm. aspect of how it, it it is a bit of accountability in that way like we were sent out to then not produce another assignment but to be called into maybe a new way of thinking about our own prayer lives right and like I think like the last time I was only here the last time but that really um, got me uh, going thinking about um, we talked about different ways of praying, but also mm -hmm. the time that I take mm -hmm. to do so. It's just, it's refreshing. A spring rain freshes the ground, one might say. <laughs> one might say. So listening back to these audio recordings is a kind of spiritual journal to remember and when we remember, we realize we have gifts to share with others. Some of those gifts of being together are accountability, the help of a spiritual community. And the connectivity between these friends wasn't initially intended. And by listening to these good people, we discover that if our intention in meeting together is first to pursue God in a worship service, a prayer meeting, or a small group, the help of friendship might naturally arise among us. Spiritual friendship is a gift of pursuing God. And it's also difficult to go intentionally very far with God on our own. Spiritual friendship, a spiritual community, is to be together alone. That means that when we go into our solitude of prayer, we can be mindful of our spiritual friends who are also doing the same. Somehow in our aloneness with the Spirit, we are still connected to each other. And that can inspire us and spur us on to our own personal practices. Do you have anyone to share your inner life with? Is there someone in your life whose spiritual discipline inspires you to keep attempting your own prayer? Is there someone you need to reach out to? Someone you can find who will grow spiritually with you? And here our conversation turns specifically to the soul. What is a soul? And what is soul spirituality? And if you recall in our last session on mind spirituality, the distinction between calculative and meditative reasoning, now as we consider the soul and contemplative prayer, we are supposing that there are even deeper regions of our inner selves that go beneath meditation. And this is where I get very excited to create some time and space with you and my friends to consider how much more there is inside of ourselves, how much more of God through the movement of the Holy Spirit can reside inside of us. Western Christianity is largely mental, is largely a mind, neck up practice. This is a result of the scientific revolution, uh, 
we have a Western consciousness. And within that mental world, we have had throughout the history of the church, pietistic movements. Mm. There was originally a sense where the church got so locked in its doctrine and its performance, and there was a group of Christians that said, hey, what about my heart? Mm-hmm. How do I love God with my emotions, which we have looked at already. Um, but of course, the trouble with the pietism is that we get stuck then in that emotions. So um, there's one way to look at contemporary worship movement of the last 30, 40 years in the United States and Western Christianity, Europe included, as a pietistic movement that's attempting to heal what was stuck in sense of mental and cerebral. Uh, a lot of people would call it, uh, it gets rid of the, the language of the frozen chosen. <laughs> yeah, right. So the frozen chosen need a little piety. They need a warm heart. They need to move, clap your hands, raise your hands, get out, getting into the spirit. Um, so um, then, of course, uh, the strength is another arena that I have seen the um, idea of strength tied into social justice-oriented spirituality, any sense of this is beyond my mind, it's beyond my heart, this needs to be into my actions, into my body. There's other ways of thinking about strength, but just to, to begin with, thinking about social change as another way of healing a church that's either overly pious or really cerebral, and we'll get to that the next time. So um, I've noticed a renewal of, of an interest in social justice. When I was in college, uh, there was no uh, social work majors, but now it's one of the largest majors of college. Mm-hmm. Um, so many students are interested in uh, doing something that matters in their community, um, raising money to dig wells in Africa, um, food drives, going on a mission trip, Habitat for Humanity. So helpful. So then finally, um, the last arena, which we're talking about tonight, is soul spirituality as also a corrective to Christianity when it's become too limited to the mind, to emotionalism, that's the underbelly of pietism, or even soul as a remedy for moralistic do-goodism. How does that sit with you? Does that map with you? Does those things resonate with you? Anything you'd like to add? You use the word corrective in that. And I think that's kind, of, that's kind of a bold way of putting that. Like kind of calling out maybe the pendulum for swinging too far yeah. one way, which, you know, I'm not saying I agree, you know, disagree, but that was... Mm-hmm. It's bold, and it, I think, in, throughout our conversations and the way ways we've walked through, like my time at Hope, I think I, I see how that, like, I think that was something that, you know, that's why I was really interested for this night because that was something that I had not encountered um, until soul I, spirituality. yeah, soul spirituality until I joined the worship team at Hope. It was like a foreign concept, mm-hmm. and so I think. Corrective is a an abrasive term, but not not a bad way to go in some way. Yeah, it does it 
stood out as a strong word to me too. Um, but that was also my um, experience was that soul was corrective for me from mm-hmm. all of it. I mean, maybe not heart so much, but definitely the do-goodism. Mm-hmm. Um, that was most of my spirituality before mm-hmm. um, encountering soul. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was very corrective, but it does feel like a strong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's foreign also, I, I would say, which is why it feels corrective because it's kind of, it seems newer to the scene mm-hmm. and to draw from it. I think we've got to go back to spiritual fathers and mothers who have spoken into this kind of stuff before. That's not scripture per se, but they're men and women who've written tons, mystics, desert fathers, all kinds of people. And as soon as you start talking about those people, I think that for many in a mind driven Bible believing spirituality um, quotes Bible believing that it's a little bit challenging to say well we might need to listen to some other people besides the scriptures these are people who have been formed by the scriptures they're people who are led by the spirit filled with the spirit um, who have a lot to offer but they're the ones that are associated with soul spirituality mm-hmm. and therefore it, it can seem a bit abrasive because it's it's scary for people to trust and in my experience uh, very anti-historical, very non-historical. So to be able to say to someone at the church, oh, well, of course, the Desert Fathers and the mystics, and you're like, why should I care about them? What about Jesus now? Uh-huh. So there's a, a book by uh, Jerry Sitzer, Water from a Deep Well. It's the first time I heard it explained so clearly in his introduction. He says to the younger person, you want to be on fire for Jesus? Read church history. Mm. Mm. To imagine that the Spirit has worked fire mm. in fiery ways mm. with hundreds of thousands of Christians that have gone before us. If you want to be on fire for Jesus, as a matter of fact, Ignatius' commission to the Jesuits is go and set the world on fire. My friends each have described various kinds of resistances to the idea of going this deep with God, resistances to focusing on the soul. So how do you resist this kind of spirituality? We continue on with bits of teaching interspersed with spiritual conversation because the importance here is not abstract intellectual ideas, but for you to take your time, for you to plumb the depths of your inner self to become more acquainted with your own soul so that you can then offer that soul that space to God.
So on a basic cursory level, we can identify worship traditions as soul-oriented that are higher liturgically. So if you think about the uh, Basilica in Istanbul, Cappadocia, um, originally it was uh, without pews, right? But um, yeah, the, um, the, the Basilica, the, the Orthodox churches, before the printing press, this is an interesting thing, they did not have pews. The movement of worship was throughout the room. So there is some research that identifies the beginning of church pews, the way that we have them today, was around the same time that everyone started becoming, uh, um, around the time that the printing press gave books and Bibles to each home. So the way we think in terms of these linear formulations, uh, if you want to talk about what we were saying earlier in terms of these patterns and rhythms of what we just do, we are so deeply spiritually formed in ways we haven't deconstructed for the sake of going, maybe I'm more than just my mind. We don't want to disparage mental spirituality. We want to deepen it. We want to broaden it. But then we also want to put it in context mm -hmm. of more. So, um, so in those liturgical tr traditions, we would have what folks would call a homily, shorter sermons, generally 15 minutes or even less. Uh, we'd have responsive readings. We have corporate practices of silence. Mm -hmm. And uh, these traditions tend to be more visual as well in terms of the way that they use the church calendar to use different tapestries, banners, um, and even the use of icons, which we brought out here for your perusal this evening. Um, but, but, but very seriously, understanding uh, the use of, of culture and the arts is very much, ironically, nurturing soul practices. And this is a more Eastern uh, um, way of understanding worship. Mm -hmm. So um, those are some cursory understanding of soul practice, but I want to add to this the language of contemplative prayer. And that's really the, the gist of where I'd like to, to go tonight. Before I go to that, uh, I want to note that I have had a couple emails from some folks that are trying to map heart, mind, soul, and strength with the Enneagram. And they're wondering, well, wait a minute, there's not soul in this arena here. So have you guys thought about that already? A little bit. I've yeah. wondered. Yeah. So the, uh, the difference here is that we're not trying to identify what you were born with. We're trying to identify where you're worshiping now. Okay? So heart, mind, and body or strength, gut, and the Enneagram, that maps. What we want to say is we're all at some level soul. We're all at some level mind. We're all at some level strength. We're all at some, some level heart. Soul happens to be, as I, as I look at the Old Testament, the integrative space of the being. So in the Old Testament, the word is nephesh. And if we do the word study on nephesh, we're going to realize that 
the nefesh involves the mind. It involves the heart and the emotions and the desires. So again, the Eastern sense is much more soul-oriented. It's that we move into the New Testament or we've added mind as a separate faculty. So I um, appreciate what we're doing here because the Enneagram doesn't explicitly give us language for the mystical. There's a book, for those of you that are interested, on the Enneagram, the Sacred Enneagram, by uh, Christopher Hewitt's uh, it's uh, Zondervan. It's a great book, and it's the only Enneagram book that I know that not only maps the Enneagram, but then also draws the connections between the Enneagram and prayer practices, specifically contemplation. Mm-hmm. So what's really helpful about the Enneagram is the Enneagram helps us understand the, what we are deeply formed in, and you can use Myers-Briggs or, or Finders. You can use whatever personality type you'd like. What we're here looking at is the history of worship practices. And we understand the self is very confused in, in modern vocabulary. The question then is, what is your experience of your heart, your mind, your strength, and your understanding of soul? So when we turn to soul, what we're trying to do is to think about that part of ourselves that integrates all these other things and goes deeper than all these other things. So, for example, I am a four on the Enneagram. So that's the heart intelligence center. And I have worked in contemporary worship music for most of my adult life. But I had a five wing, which would put me in mind. So I was very cerebral. I've done academics. I'm in a doctoral program now. I serve in a prison right now, and I've done a bunch with other kinds of activist endeavors. So I've done body, social justice. Turns out the spirit is leading me now to soul. As I wrestle with this, I'm going to step on a limb and say that contemplation is the deepest end of the pool. And that the further we grow in Christ, the more obvious it will be that we want to be still and to know God. Rather than to talk, 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 talk about God or have to go do, 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 do for God or even feel lots of things, but that God is beneath my thoughts, beneath my emotions, and beneath my best efforts to serve my neighbor. Beneath as in under, like not beneath as in less than. Right? Yeah. yeah, under and around and through. If we think of nefesh as the deepest sense, and this is theologically one of the hardest things, there's a, an argument about whether or not we can call a person a soul, if mm. that's fair. If you look, if for those of you that want to do some of the work, Brueggemann will go there, Walter Brueggemann, probably the premier Old Testament scholar that I I, uh, highly respect. Uh, Brueggemann will literally say in his translation of Nefesh that soul is breathed on dust. (laughs) Wow. Soul is breathed on dust. So that, that elicits incarnation. 
spirit and soul that the self is psychosomatic it involves body it involves mind it involves emotions and this is why it's really hard and i'm glad you guys pointed out this eastern language i didn't originally have that in my notes but this is why it's really hard for us as americans mm -hmm. to to what we want to think in terms of either ors mm -hmm. and binaries in order to really fully understand how to present ourselves our whole selves, heart, mind, soul, and strength, is a mystical concept of the unity of our being before God. Mm. Do you think that it's fair to say that we don't have a mind, have a body, have a soul, have you know a heart, but that we are? I think that's if, if you're going to add all those together, the classic misquoting C.S. Lewis is saying that I'm not. A soul. Uh, my my body has a soul, and then the other way to say this is my soul has a body, and then you start into these either or arguments. And what we're saying in this larger sense is, yes, you are all of that. That's why nefesh is very helpful. The the word uh, Hebrew word for heart is levav, which if you look at the etymology of that and you look at how it's used, it also means your deepest sense, the center of your being, your emotional center, and your mental, your desiring and your mental self. So levav and nefesh in the Old Testament are almost used interchangeably. Mm. So again, I mentioned this the very first episode that we, we did, heart. That's why I think Paul, in I believe it's Ephesians 3, says that you'll be strengthened in your inner being Whatever you want to call that, in the deepest part of yourself, your soul, yes, mm -hmm. your mind, yes, your heart, yes, the deep, go deep, go deep. Mm -hmm. Be still and trust. And we need to pray in order to practically understand how deep that actually goes. Mm -hmm. We can sit here and talk about it, but unless we pray, we won't have a sense of what the soul really is. Unfortunately, I'm talking a lot, but it's hard on a night like this where there's not a lot of language for soul. No, it's not. <laughs> so please break in with your insight. I think it's uh, it's in in all senses such a, a difficult topic to um, to undress and to to work through um, if we dig our feet in at some point and say, well, I'm a, I'm just a, a, this kind of person. So I can't be like that. We, we sacrifice so much of what it, it what, what we what we can be. And so, you know, if, if we think about, I really, really appreciate this thought about nefesh. And, and if we take, you know, your body is a temple of the Holy spirit, and then you consider, you know, worship in that temple. And what does that look like with, with the heart, with the, the mind, with, the, you know, with the strength, with the soul. So when you bring that all together back, remembering, you know, that this important and essential component of this conversation is, um, is uh, the, the breath of God being what directs our steps, you know, what, what allows us to, to, to make any movement or have any thought or have any um, point of conversation. It brings all those, those points back to a center piece of, mm -hmm. If we, we can't step into a heart thing without the spirit of God. You know, we can't step into a strength thing without the spirit of God. We can't step into any of these things. Mm -hmm. 
which is encouraging to me mm-hmm. uh, as, as I look at a topic like this. And I think I could sit with it for so long and feel like it was so fruitless because of how deep it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, to remember that I don't, <coughs> I can't even attempt to do it alone. You know, that mm-hmm. By my very nature in doing anything, it's being done by the strength of the spirit of God. And so um, moving forward with this, it's encouraging to, to know that um, inherently I don't, don't, step into this conversation alone. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I like how you said that you can't do it without the spirit of God. I think that's a lot of people's hesitancy towards soul is they're scared. Mm-hmm. There's so much fear mm-hmm. associated around it. And that it's moving outside of Christianity or moving outside of Jesus to mm-hmm. meditate on things or to think deeply or to, have a candle in your room <laughs> you know like there's just so much fear and i think that i like how you worded that that you can't do it without jesus and so i mean i suppose that you there's some form of it that you could do without jesus but the whole um, idea of doing it with jesus i just think is so inviting mm-hmm. um, but the other thing i think i see a lot of is the idea that the deep cries out to the deep mm-hmm. and having not any experience with it, I think it can be intimidating because you haven't gone deep. So when someone starts talking deep, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know what you're talking about. And soul spirituality is very difficult to talk about. So the question is how our prayer practices can lead us to trusting the spirit who will integrate all of ourselves, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are afraid, we're afraid to go deep. And so we have to do this with Jesus in response to his invitation and not on our own strength. And here is some more reflection on our types of resistance to soul spirituality. The, the really harping on deep crying into deep, I, um, I made a comment to I think some high school students one time about how it seems like in the Protestant tradition we go, you know, we get from Genesis, we get up to Paul, then we skip, you know, a little bit there. We go to Martin Luther and then we get to Calvin and then we skip a bit more and we get to, I don't know, you know, Michael W. Smith or something. Yeah, so, but, but, so there's just this, these, these bizarre gaps that we leave and These days, anxiety plays a big part in keeping people from this because um, I had a few years of anxiety, like really intense anxiety, and silence was the thing that I feared the most because it was when my head was the loudest. Mm -hmm. So keeping busy allowed me to, in some ways, kind of remove myself from the struggle that I, I did end up needing to really stare at and move towards. And so I think that a lot of the, the struggle with anxiety and therefore the fear of silence is what will and has kept many people from mm-hmm. being willing to actually pause, which I think is one of the chief ingredients in a soul spirituality, you know, the, the practices of silence stillness. and stillness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that keeps alone, that keeps many people away. So you just yeah. don't want to sit still. Mm-hmm. Because we're scared of what we're going to find. Mm-hmm. 
mm. or we know what we're going to find and we're we we don't want to we don't want to be confronted by it and i think and even um it's hard to think that sitting still is doing something it's it's much easier to say well if i want to if i want to work on soul spirituality then i ought to read some more books or I ought to jump into practices or something. Mm-hmm. And, and silence doesn't work as a practice in the sense, uh, like, shouldn't I be jogging or yeah, exactly. Building, <laughs> you know, have a Zen garden. I don't know, but, but to actually sit, I mean, that, that doesn't, doesn't compute with practice True. too often. So the True. production value yeah. that's associated with our yeah. spirituality, which seems super nonsensical to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, you can't watch a YouTube video and have it sorted out. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's such depth that goes mm-hmm. past that, that it's, um, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not a five minutes and we've got, to, I, yeah, what, what kind of meal would you like me to make? Doesn't matter if I've made it before I can watch the YouTube video and then I can go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have a, 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 a deep soul spirituality, it doesn't work mm-hmm. in that format. So there's maybe one of the clarifying things that some people by nature are better at sitting still in general. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, I had a friend in my early 20s and she just would say, oh, I just feel like I gotta go for a run. I'd look at her and be like, yeah, I've never had that experience. In my life. <laughs> I've never had that, oh, I feel like I better go for a run. So we're not trying to like put some sort of cookie cutter on this, especially with contemplative prayer where we're talking about mystical, what we're trying to do here is to cast some vision for what it might be in sense of there's more. Mm-hmm. So um, diving, you know, even, even further into this sense of soul, what is it? Is there, is there other ways to define, before we start talking about practice, other ways to, to offer some perspective on soul. For me, it's been a huge journey of trust, Mm -hmm. learning trust with the Father and uh, being a strength person, typically. Uh, Soul was a big diversion from the doing and just sitting and being still. And trusting that that was doing something Mm -hmm. trusting the transformative power of the spirit in stillness in silence Mm -hmm. um that was that's a i mean it's a learning curve for sure but and i'm still on it Mm -hmm. but initially that was for sure the hardest part for me as a doer was to trust that that was going to bear fruit in my life Mm -hmm. because at first i was like this isn't doing anything So we consider this question of trust. We don't trust the history of the church, and we don't trust silence. Again, the words of Frederick Beekner. he says, we are none of us good at silence. And some of us have a doctor-diagnosed difficulties with anxiety, and we need to be very careful with the expectations we place on ourselves about our ability to sit quietly in a room in solitude. And some of us are just not wired for sitting in silence. 
or more active. Yet are there other creative ways for you to go deeper into your soul? I think of the poet Mary Oliver who writes her poems while walking. How can you grow in trusting your inner silence even when it doesn't seem that your outer bodily silence is possible? How do you grow in trusting that something is indeed happening inside of you even when you cannot see, feel, or know it with your mind? Cynthia Bourgeau uh, has written a couple books on centering prayer, yes. which is Thomas Keating's uh, vocabulary for trying to contemporize mm -hmm. contemplative prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, from those three, they call this act of trust divine therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard because then all of a sudden we're introducing that something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get healed. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to surrender. So this is only stuff you can negotiate when you actually do it. So what is trust? And what's hard to understand is when we're saying this is the mystical presence of God in the deepest parts of ourself, this ends up in practice being incredibly practicable, mm -hmm. concrete. So if we just stop right now, I wonder, do I, and yeah, or do I trust? Do I have a sense of God here? Or is God somewhere else in a book? It could be the Bible. Is God in a song? Is God in somebody else? Mm -hmm. Is God in a feeling that I'm not experiencing right now? Or do I go beneath all those things mm -hmm. and trust? Isaiah 30, 15, and quiet, be still and know, come unto me, and I will teach you things. I will show you rest, how to practice. So we start wondering, this is in the scripture. It's everywhere in the scripture. Mm -hmm. We just don't yet have eyes to know that this is what we're talking about here. So when Paul, then in that same passage, that you might know the height and depth and the width and the breadth, the surpassing love of Jesus, that's what, that's contemplation. The, the, the sense of your faith stretching and widening. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just going and doing something really powerful, full justice, it's good. It's not just having good emotions, it's beyond. Hmm. Would it be fair to say that it's, it's almost like a place where with the same amount of time that you could spend in one of these other places, heart, body, mind, mm -hmm. the same amount of time you cover twice the distance. That reminds me of, I believe it was Luther that said that when we sing a hymn, we pray twice. Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea is we're bringing those things together. You know, I if you want to think about contemplative prayer, and silence as an extension of everything else you do throughout the day that brings together all your doings and your lovings and your thinking into that. And if it goes back to it, if it's this reciprocal. So this is the way I think of it in the sense of praying without ceasing. 
So ceaseless prayer is an invitation. Mm. It's part of contemplative life. So it's not that I stop my contemplation when I leave, my sit is what I call it, but that I try to attempt breath prayers throughout the day. And I only know what to do with those breath prayers because I've had some time sitting. Mm -hmm. So it goes back and forth. And then that stuff, that those that life, that soul work comes out then in my words. It comes out in my, that's my prayer at least. That's what I hope it will be. You know, sometimes I can be a jackass. But then I go back to my prayer. <laughs> and ask for forgiveness. You can ask my wife. The, the classic story of Mother Teresa when it comes to con contemplative prayer is a, a journalist is speaking to her about her prayer life. He says, Mother, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, oh, when I pray, I don't say anything. The journalist scratches his head and says, okay, then well, what do you do? And she said, oh, I, I listen. And the journalist says, well, then what does God say to you? What do you hear? And she says, well, he doesn't say anything either. <laughs> if, if you don't understand that, then you really don't understand prayer. Another way of describing contemplative prayer is a long, loving gaze. Mm -hmm. to when um, I think the first time I encountered much of this contemplation and, and contemplative practice was that first retreat that we went on sophomore year. It was up north uh, um, Northport. And um, like I, I remember exactly what it was like walking in because it was, you know, I had just left RA training because that was just a wild ride and excitement and energy and blah, blah, blah. And then to move into this space of People just not doing anything. <laughs> it's the wildest thing <laughs> to 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 witness that, and then to move into that space of oh yeah, we're just here to be right here. Just here to be right. Here. I think my eyes being open to what that was like was um, being overcome by the sense of uh, you know. The soul, you said, being the integrative part of all of who we are, mm -hmm. being overwhelmed by, um, in that silence, in that time of silence, is where, like, the words, you are my beloved, had mm -hmm. never spoken so loud. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden there was silence and there was space to hear that and to let that sink mm -hmm. into the very center of who I was. Um, and that hadn't happened because there was always so much, like, there was always the doing or the, the feeling or thinking and I grew up in a more um, cerebral church you know style you know style whatever way of worship and um, 
That was my, one of my first encounters with that. Have you been able to find that outside of a space that's you know, a retreat or something? That's interesting you ask that. Mm-hmm. Reflecting on the daily habits, the daily liturgies that I have in my life, I think one, one of the things that I, I was good at towards the beginning of my school year, for example, in my routine, was just taking my five minutes in the morning, like 5.30 a.m. when I wake up, um, and just sitting there, fresh mind, mm-hmm. after hopefully a decent sleep. You know, being especially being that early and <laughs> being me being not a morning person, mm-hmm. definitely had to become a morning person being a teacher. But um, that was something that was so profound in my daily liturgy. My daily response was just that five minutes in the chair, or even turning off everything in the car on the way to work on my twenty-five minute commute. It's beautiful. Those are ways which I've managed to bring that space back. But I also think something like this, as I said earlier, is something that draws me in and sends me back out mm-hmm. refreshed to do those things on my own because i think i me being less of a disciplined person when it comes to this stuff this is something that is yeah. i mean that's like that's why refreshing i think just really stood out to me like the spring rain it just mm-hmm. it falls over me over and it's like oh that's right mm-hmm. this can be that fresh like we can take that um mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to be confined to that retreat to mm-hmm. something like this And these deep transformative movements of soul spirituality are more caught than taught. We can develop a holy jealousy to engage that long loving gaze when we hear stories from Mother Teresa and then the experiences and stirrings in each of these friends. This is the gift of testimony, to listen to taste and see how Jesus moves in the lives of others. We move here to sharing more practically how each of us have experienced the Spirit in our souls. Uh, the first high school uh, youth group retreat that I put together and took students on um, I saw in the students prior to that trip that they that they would I think they would have been quite frustrated if it was another come to Jesus weekend um, and not that there isn't value in that but but um, they, they wanted something more to chew on than um, something that they had heard many times so uh, I did everything to, I could to digest um, the Dallas Willard uh, Spirit of the Disciplines and um, we spent the weekend simply saying if we want to be like Jesus why don't we do the things Jesus does um, and it was kind of, it was kind of a shocking thought that I'd never really considered like we, we say what would Jesus do but not like let's Action. let's just do the stuff Jesus did like, mm-hmm. Jesus went off to a quiet place you know I mean Jesus got in the boat and went away from the crowd. You know what I mean, um, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. went off with his dear friends. And uh, it's just like, they have these very simple things that, um, that I'd never, con- you know, pictured in that, that capacity. So, but I think about that often in how do I look at my time and, you know, do I go sit in a quiet place? Do I go, um, 
I, I, I really appreciate a garden. Um, and, and do I go step into a garden and, and, and just be in a garden? You know, so some of these simple things that, um, mm-hmm. if I'd like to be like Jesus, why don't I just do what Jesus did? Um, I think back to one of the retreats that I went and played for. Um, one of the things you did that I keep going back to just because I'm holding this, one of the reasons that the soul spiritual spirituality is suffocated is because of our lack of places like this. Um, and I remember how you set up that space, mm. this old shed barn, right, at, um, at the camp. And you had put out candles and you had made it such an inviting and a warm space, but not just that something more a place that is inviting and sends us forward into mm. something where where we can be contemplative mm. and i just i get so frustrated with i think and this is one of my problems is that um i i get drawn into those spaces but there aren't many of them to be found necessarily um in our like in the noisy world like even within our worship spaces and mm. um So we would imagine that there's a park, if there's a place in a library you can go to, if there is, uh, some churches do have sacred places reserved, but um, yeah, the frequency of being in places that physically, and this is again exactly what we were saying about the use of the arts, use of culture, to then point us into a place not to just suddenly become um, gnostic but to be more deeply in our body by being aware of our soul so yeah um, the metaphor the the image that some contemplatives borrow from the buddhist tradition is the the image of of the still calm water if the water in inside of you is always tumultuous it's going to be really hard to hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. So you need to calm those waters. And when the waters become calm, even the smallest ripple is noticeable. Mm-hmm. So how do our spaces encourage and nurture, mm-hmm. remind us of calm, tranquility, water? Mm-hmm. In that Centering Prayer book you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. one of the things that she says as a practice to begin with is to, stilling your mind, um, is every time you, you know, realize you have kind of gone off base or you're thinking about something else or you're going through your mental task list or whatever, she says, you know, it's an opportunity to turn your thoughts back to God. And if you do that a thousand times in your first five minutes, Mm -hmm. that's a thousand times to honor God mm. by turning back mm. and her th- a thousand opportunities to honor him by turning back again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. I just love that. It was so comforting yes. to me because I thought, oh. yeah, that's me. And it was just like, okay, I can do that. I can mm-hmm. honor him by coming back again and again and again. So almost like every correction is a little act of worship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Every failure is an opening, an opportunity mm. to back. depend on the spirit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that uh, I think about Lent, and that was the big thing that, again, mm-hmm. talked to the students about, is if you, like, if on day one of whatever you've 
decided to do or abstain from or however we've looked at this, um, if you mess up, don't say, well, I guess I have to wait until next Lent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah. I didn't spend the first minute of my five minutes the best, so I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> right. No, yeah. There's still so much, you know, mm-hmm. the opportunity. God could speak in any, you know, the last two yeah. seconds of your yeah. five minutes. I mean, there's, there's no mm-hmm. reason to mm-hmm. assume that mm-hmm. you, by burning up that one minute that you've now wasted yeah. opportunity yeah. fully. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. our silent retreat last year the scripture that you gave us was out of the message and i think it was a psalm it started out silence is praise and in every other version i've ever read it's not worded like that but i loved that because i thought oh man we do not think that way and that was so challenging to me For me, the picturing of Jesus has been really helpful, um, and I and I think when I am able to do that, it is just so immediately. Um, it just brings peace mm-hmm. for me, and so then I feel like when I can picture him, or I can bring him into a room, physically, like mm-hmm. be like, "Where are you sitting?" You know. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's like okay. I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm starting to be able to. Kind of, you know, after a really devastating conversation one time, I I just beelined to a county park, and I was sitting on a bench, and it was like, oh, you're here, and it was like, okay, mm-hmm. Jesus, you're yeah. here, I can do this now, and then it was like, you know, come unleashed then, but it was just like I had to find mm-hmm. him, and and there he was holding my hand and just calming, you know, and so just picturing Jesus and where he's at has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. For me to even be able to go there so thank you mm-hmm. one of the ways in which i've tried to like make <laughs> my small apartment living space feel like a better um, space for contemplation is um uh, lighting a candle in the dark mm-hmm. and I, I just and boy <laughs> the invocation itself right a light shines the darkness the darkness cannot be over or the, the light cannot be overcome Preach. Um, and that is that has been for me um if i forget or if i fall away from other daily practices or habits that give me time with god then that's the one that's one that has always been a way to draw it's just just me and the lord Mm-hmm. And the the light is a representation of that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I love the light. Mm-hmm. I I I take it in a little bit of a different way than you do, but I use it all the time. For me, the light and the warmth are the two mm-hmm. things that bring me back when I wander in my mind, and the the light kind of being the thing that's. I trust you, Lord, to open my eyes to see you with me now Mm -hmm. and then the warmth i trust that as sure as the warmth and i'll even put my hand close to the flame Mm -hmm. itself as sure as this warmth i can feel right now i know that you're in this room Mm -hmm. i know that you're here and it's it's like in me enough now to where it's a quick corrective but Mm -hmm. early on it was 
really deliberate mm-hmm. and definitely the flame was, was sweet. Just like one of those little tea candles for me is what it was sure, at the start. Yeah, it was nothing need. special. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all you need. Something to illuminate the dark. Yeah. One of the biggest temptations that I think we face um, in approaching contemplation mm-hmm. is this um, either or attitude mm-hmm. that uh, for some reason we feel the need to play devil's advocate um, just instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you really need a candle to be, you know, in God's presence? Mm-hmm. Like that, like that, that yeah. you know, and do you really, you don't need, you know, you could, you could worship God in an old, you know, warehouse. It doesn't have to be this ornate church. But, you know, so there's this, this really ugly thing that goes back and forth. Um, and so rather than in any way, I think that's one of the simplest ways that, that the devil pokes and prods, just lets us try and pretend like we're, we're approaching it from a, a holy standpoint of you don't need these things, you know, but, but rather than, than letting those things be deterrents, I think it's beautiful to, um, to even experience um, the way someone else approaches con- um, contemplative prayer or worship. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, the, the, the candle was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's something that I can directly, I don't do it currently, but it's something I can relate to you guys on right now. Um, so I think there's that beauty in, in mm-hmm. um, community outside of community, I guess, you know, being able to bring back parts of Dan and, and Stacy and Aaron, you know, and Josh to, to my own prayer life is, is still a beautiful thing. To step the other way, um, I've found um, in the midst of worship, uh, there's um, everyone singing around you. Um, everyone, there, there's a, a routine. There is rhythm. There's ritual. There's um, regardless of the the type of music it is, but there there are all these things that um, it's unlikely that someone's going to come in and interrupt. I mean, so it's almost an opportunity for more silence than what silence offers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if we just sit here, you know, one of your kids might start screaming, um, you know, but, but if, if we're all singing at the same time um, to, to withdraw from that for just a moment, um, there's, there's this safety. I think in, um, I think about um, Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. Um, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, the, you know, the, 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 the components of worship um, kind of become those mountains surrounding, you know, the, so the Lord surrounds his people. There's, there's this shelter, there's this, um, this opportunity for us to be closed off from distractions because of activity, because of things happening. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm looking at your 40 ways guide right now and number 24 on here, it kind of refers to what Stacy was talking about earlier, which is the imaginative mm-hmm. piece, um, but really zeroing in on scripture. And there was a retreat that I went on years ago where we did this contemplative prayer with the imagination, zeroing in on a story in the gospels. Yes. So with Bruce Highmarsh. Yeah. And it was impactful because we spent way more time with the passage than I think I ever had mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. in the span of two days. Mm-hmm. And kind of where where typically you would 
come back together and then you would go to a, a very different passage. Like we just continue to come back together and stay at the same passage and our imaginations were a big focus of that. And so I think being able to imaginatively pray through and stop at different points in stories in the gospels mm-hmm. um, okay. have, have led to both being able to grow in my soul, but also in the retelling of the stories mm-hmm. because I'm, seeing them as if they I've watched them on a TV screen or watched them play out right in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I focused on the smells, I focused on the scent, the, the scents are the smells, the, the, the tastes, if there are tastes, mm-hmm. the sounds, Sight. the sights. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'm aware of Jesus in those stories, but I'm also aware of mm-hmm. Mary and Martha mm-hmm. and how they're interacting and, Yes, yeah, where Alexia Divina overlaps with that is the beginning of the, dis- the practice you're describing. I'm assuming that professor is borrowing from Ignatius uh, the third week of the spiritual exercises. Ignatius invites us to use what he calls the, the application of the senses. Hmm. So he has these sets of recommended scriptures, the gospel scenes move from the nativity to Jesus' life. Mm. And as you go through them, you do apply your senses imaginatively. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so then he invites us to enter into what he calls colloquy or conversation, mm. conversar in Spanish, because that's a big part of Ignatian spirituality, mm. to enter in a conversation with God. So uh, we could end up in a, in a conversation with Mary. What's it feel like? It's not that we're preparing a Bible study here. Mm-hmm. We're using the scripture as a springboard into the presence of God. Right. And so uh, the conversation then could lead us into a practice, Ignatius has some notes, where we're just beholding. Mm-hmm. We're right. just sitting in awe. Mm-hmm. And so um, this also reminds me of another thing that might be helpful for some people, maybe for you. In contemplative prayer, we're, we're personality structures, if you want to think of some of the questions about Enneagram, some of us are cataphatic worshipers and some of us are apophatic worshipers. So cataphatic is the spirituality of God revealing himself to us. That's true, God has through Jesus. Well, some of us have better uh, facility with our imaginations. And so, Stacey, you, you go into your soul by imagining Jesus there with you. Mm-hmm. I don't ever imagine a, a, a God and a face in my prayer. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else? Do you guys ma- imagine a being mm-hmm. you pray? You do? Mm-hmm. So uh, it would be a cataphatic leaning at least. To, do you, Mitch? No? Aaron, no? So that's one of the interesting things. It could be an interesting small group question. And wondering, like, when you think about what's your image of God, and, and how deep does this go? Mm-hmm. So there are some personality types. And so um, contemplation leads towards the apophatic, towards the mysterious nature of God. And it doesn't mean that cataphatic people can't access that. It just means that they're going to have different ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. So we start with scripture. We imagine this and then we see it so many times, it sinks from our mind and our emotions 
sinks into our body and then we're in a place of deep soul space mm -hmm. reverence mm -hmm. and you go over it and you go over over it you go over the passage over it and it's just in your 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 being in your in your soul Psalm 65, silence is praise to you, Zion dwelling God, and also obedience, you hear prayer in it all. So to do the practical things that Jesus did in your daily rhythms, practices like solitude, to go into the quiet places, to spend some time with spiritual friends. And then also, how do our physical spaces help us with our inner spaces? And then to allow our failures to become opportunities to come back to Jesus and to depend on the Spirit more and more. and using our imaginations to find Jesus' presence, and then to enter into a prayerful conversation with God. We can also simply light a candle and allow its light to direct our attention back to Jesus and to remember His warmth in the glow of its light. And then we're reminded of another resistance do we really need to do these things at all? Do we need to light candles or find sacred spaces? No, we do not have to do any of these things out of duty, but instead we get to do these things in response to the love and grace. And also, there's much to consider about practicing contemplation reaching the deeper parts of our soul, even in the midst of corporate worship. And finally, we pick up here with the language of transcendence, that when we draw near a transcendent God, we will bow our hearts and become speechless just to sit in the house of God. And we close with a group practice of quieting ourselves, paying attention to our breath. And this is a helpful way that I recommend to you that you might also linger in the presence of God throughout the day. One of the words that I often associated after like processing some of those moments in silence and contemplation was, and maybe this is just also me partially being an artist, is uh, the word transcendence, about how God transcends all of that is around us and through us. Um, and I think I particularly resonate with music in that sense, how that can be transcendent and that, um, like, I think those those moments bring me back to, like, and, like, oh, it's not silent by any means, but for me, it sort of translates to that same transcendence I feel like when there, I am in silence and mm -hmm. contemplating. I have a verse that I've been thinking on lately that kind of ties in with the transcendence and the listening mm -hmm. bit. Um, it's Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. 
says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, mm-hmm. for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Mm-hmm. I think about that when you're talking about the transcendence. Because mm-hmm. transcendence, I just for, for me, it leads to just speechless, being speechless, mm-hmm. like stunned by the mm-hmm. magnificence of the glory of whatever I'm witnessing, mm-hmm. um, whether with my ears or my eyes, whatever. I mean, yeah, that's what I think about. Let's just close by going back to some, let's do some practice here of that, of do what we can. One thing that is really helpful with contemplative prayer is breath. As we notice our breathing, we're able to release thoughts, to release anxiety, when we go to bed, we slow our breathing, when we want to go to sleep, we calm down. Notice that your breath becomes slow. You can realize that your body is opening and relaxing in a way that helps you be open to God. It's no mistake that Mothers birthing children are are taught and encouraged to pay attention to their breath. And in many ways we can think of the calm breathing, contemplation, centering ourselves as a kind of birthing. Expectant for new life, new hope, resurrection, for the presence of God, for Jesus to appear to us. Silence is praise to you.
So, how about your own soul? How about the deeps within you? As we bring our summer to a close, what is the Spirit inviting you to recollect? For you to rehearse in the deeper parts of your being, beneath your strongest desires, beneath your best ideas and your most helpful and important actions. We will be posting the next episode on strength spirituality within a month. And because soul spirituality may be the most difficult for us all to get at, I spent some time with Dr. Jared Ortiz. He's the Catholic instructor of theology at Hope College. And also in that conversation was Dominic Palacios, who I served with at Harder White. That's the ministry that helped me launch this podcast. These two dear brothers sat down with me to have a further discussion about the soul and about contemplative prayer. I hope to offer that conversation to you later in the fall as a reminder of this summer retreat. And please remember, if you've been listening, this summer retreat is a season of discernment for the Invitation Podcast. I'll soon be starting to raise funds in earnest to support the podcast, the prison prayer practices, and the invitation as a whole that is a resource of spiritual formation for the local church here in West Michigan. More information on these next steps will be coming your way soon. If you resonate with the invitation, if it is important to you, and if you believe it can be of help to others, I would love for you to become a sustaining supporter of the invitation. If you're not already a subscriber to The Invitation, please do find the subscribe buttons on our website at invitationpodcast.org. And please do share The Invitation with a friend who you believe might especially find help from the podcast in their pursuit of Jesus through prayer. And it is true. I am so, so, so glad that you have joined this portion of the summer retreat. I'm glad that you're listening. It is a true delight and an honor to serve you as a spiritual director. Sharing the summer retreat with you is my labor of deep love for Jesus, for the church, and for you, my neighbor. Thanks again for listening and joining in. And until next time, may the goodness of Jesus' love and life seep into your life like spring rain. Amen. Amen.